0: Hello Miami Dolphin fans, welcome to the Same Old Dolphin Show, part of the DolphinsTalk.com podcast network. I'm Josh Katzker, with me today and every day is my brother from the exact same mother, Aaron the Brain. Aaron, say hello to the people. Hello to the people. We are back. Not not back full time, not back in the full swing yet, but we are here for a special off-season update episode of the same old dolphin show. We said that as the as the uh, sort of off-season went by, we would be back as there was sort of news to cover. We weren't going to come in and talk about the combine. We weren't going to talk about offseason updates unless there was something big to discuss, and it seems that we finally have some big stuff to discuss. Um, but I think, without getting into the specifics, which I'm sure we will here in just a moment, and obviously, if you're a Miami Dolphin fan, and you're listening to this as we are recording this on early Sunday evening. You know what all of the specifics are, and we're going to get into all of that as we go. But I think. The biggest thing that there is to talk about, Brain, is something that we have been talking about on this show since the really the end of the season. We talked about how before we knew even officially that there was going to be turnover in the front office, and then as we found out there was going to be turnover in the front office, it was all about, can this organization finally move forward in a way that is... Going to actually put the team in a position to move forward in a meaningful way instead of just trying to scrape and do everything that you can, scratch and scrape to try to get seven, eight, nine, ten wins. Can this team finally embrace a new way forward that really involves a proper rebuild? And when Chris Greer was introduced. In that press conference, Steve Ross made it clear that this was a guy who was going to—he uh, was going to lead a, what was a proper rebuild. And they got rid of Adam Gase because he was not willing to participate in that. And they brought in Brian Flores to be the coach, and he was the guy that was going to help sort of helm the football on-field side of things. And really. We we said it there in the in the show we recorded just after the the press conference to introduce Greer and to introduce Flores. We talked about, well, it sounds like they're talking a good game, but now let's see if they can actually execute. And for me, the biggest news of this offseason for the Miami Dolphins is that they do in fact seem to be following through on a slow and steady wins the race kind of rebuild. We don't see the Dolphins out there splashing out tons of cash for all these big name free agents. They've been connected with a few of them, but ultimately, this has been a team that has said, you know what, we're not going to do that. We're not going to pay $16, $18 million for Teddy Bridgewater. We're sorry, It's not going to happen. We're not going to, listen, Juwan James was an integral part of this team on the offensive line for the last several years, but the money that he was demanding was not money that this team was going to be willing to put out at this point in time, and, Brain, I think the most encouraging sign of all in this offseason for the Miami Dolphins is that Chris Greer and the front office of this Miami Dolphins team seems to be following through on the talk that we heard at that introductory press conference.
1: Yeah, and it looked dicey there because when the rumors started coming out about, oh, the Dolphins are the favorites to land uh, Trey Flowers and the Dolphins are linked to Teddy Bridgewater and, and all these things, It kind of looked like, oh, and they, you know, rumors that they wanted to keep Juwan James and they might be able, they might be willing to make him the highest paid right tackle in the league. When these things started coming out, it started looking more and more like the same old Dolphins approach. But in spite of them actually being in on Trey Flowers, they had a number. We don't know what that number was. But it was significantly less than the number that the Detroit Lions paid him. And they said, that's fine. We'll let him go. They had a number when it came to Juwan James. But it was significantly lower than the number that the Denver Broncos offered Juwan James. And they said, no thanks. We'll let him go. Same thing with Teddy Bridgewater. And what you're seeing is a very sensible approach to this thing. And the word tanking gets thrown out a lot. And I wouldn't say that necessarily they are actively trying to tank. I think that there are, there are improvements that they were looking to make. And if they could make them at a price that made sense, they were going to do them, even though they weren't actively trying to, to make the team like a nine or 10 win team next season, they weren't necessarily also saying, well, we're trying to be as bad as possible, but the way things are working out, it has put them in the position to basically be tanking. And when you look at the guys that they've let go, uh, you know, the guys that have, that they have been in on that they have let sign, with other teams Uh, when you look at the, the, the guys that they've released uh, Josh Sitton, um, uh, Cameron wake uh, these kinds of guys. uh, And then you look at the, the competition around them, just look in their division, the way the, the New York jets and the Buffalo bills are going out and spending big money on free agents to make themselves better. And then even other teams in the AFC that were at the bottom of the AFC last year, who would be basically your competition towards being one of the worst teams, your Oakland Raiders, your, uh, who else in the, in the, the Denver Broncos, these teams are going out and spending big money because they are trying to win now. And this is working out perfectly for the Miami dolphins, because as we sit right now, I mean, it's not going to be pretty going into next season, but, we clearly look like one of the five worst teams in in the NFL going into next year, if not the worst. And that's not a bad thing. When you consider that the goal has been, and should be to get the number one quarterback, to get that franchise quarterback, to really set this rebuild into motion. And unless they are planning to throw a whole bunch of picks to try to move up to get Kyler Murray, which I think would be a huge gamble and probably a mistake. It's looking like we're going to have a very good opportunity to get one of the three top quarterbacks that come out. If not, the number one pick in the NFL draft next year. If we just stay on this course. And in the meantime, we're also collecting compensatory picks. Um, and should we just get right into it? I mean, by now, by the time everybody's listening to this, but first off, everybody knows that we have traded Ryan Tannehill. We traded Ryan Tannehill traded is amazing. Traded amazing. Ryan Tannehill. What the Tennessee Titans are thinking is I mean, this is another team. I mean, granted, the Titans not a not a terrible team, but they're obviously going all in. Not only do they sign Cameron Wake, but they trade for Ryan Tannehill, and they still got Marcus Mariota. Mariota. They restructure Tannehill's deal so that Tannehill is getting seven million dollars this upcoming season and with incentives can make up to $12 million, which just tells me like, they're bringing in Ryan Tannehill to be the backup so that if Marcus Mariota gets hurt, which he has had the propensity to do, Ryan Tannehill steps in. And if Tannehill has a good year, he can earn up to $12 million. So they've basically, they're they're going all in on trying to make the playoffs because they're saying, well, if Mariota gets hurt, we need a, a really good backup in Ryan Tannehill. And, and the Tennessee Titans are essentially doing what the Miami Dolphins have done for the past decade, 15, 20 years, however long it's been, which is going all in to try to win 10 games, which it is so refreshing as a Dolphins fan to sit here and look at all of these other teams doing what the Miami Dolphins have done, which has caused us so much frustration over the last 10, 15, 20 years, and that the Dolphins are actually sitting back, being patient and doing this the right way. It's amazing. It's It really is truly remarkable. And, you know, it's funny because you and
0: I, we've gotten a lot of stick um, over the past, you know, couple of seasons for being too negative. You know, we're, we're too negative. But we're just sort of, we're not trying to be negative as much as we're just coming from a place of fatigue and being sick and tired of the, of the same old Dolphins. And... It is very early it's still very early on in the in the Chris Greer era here in Miami but it seems like he is determined for this team to no longer be the same old dolphins and he is trying to make fixes that are going to be permanent long-term fixes. That doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. And so there are going to be a lot of people and I see him if you if you are in these Miami Dolphin fan groups on Facebook and, and certain segments of, of Dolphins Twitter, there are people out there who are furious with the way that this dolphin's offseason is going right now. And if you look at you know ESPN and you know other sites like that, they, they tend to grade teams uh, off seasons. Right, They always like to give them a stick of letter grade on there for the offseason. And that letter grade is often stuck on the team in relation to how that offseason makes that team look for the upcoming season. And I guess if you were going to give the Dolphins a grade for this upcoming season, it would probably be a C or a D or, a, or an F maybe. But if you were grading this Dolphins offseason, this 2019 Dolphins offseason, season. In how it is setting the organization up for success in 2020, in 2021, in 2022, I you have to give Chris Greer an A plus right now. Obviously, it's early, and you 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 know you're you're making a lot of assumptions, and you're putting a lot of faith in the organization that a lot of things are going to work out. And these are the Dolphins after all, so maybe it's better to remain a bit skeptical. But from where I'm sitting right now, I'm getting pretty pumped up watching this team start the rebuilding process and have it be a proper rebuild and after you know something like two decades the better part of two decades watching this team just be mired in mediocrity i am perfectly fine with the team taking a hands-off step back approach to sort of beginning this rebuild process i'm perfectly fine with not with saying we've got to rebuild the team but we also have to keep winning because those two things don't all don't really match up, except for in the rarest of circumstances. So, with all of that said, I'm very very happy with how things are going, and we can we can talk about some of these moves. Obviously, the Dolphins have moved on from a lot of players, some uh, you know pretty beloved players like Cam Wake, Frank Gore, who enjoyed a great season in Miami, has has gone off uh, to Buffalo. We've lost some other. Uh, members of the team, but <laughs> of course all these other guys that have gone among the other players, among the players that have stayed, Devontae Parker. But ironically yeah, we'll see that coming. <laughs> but ironically Devontae Parker stays with the team, but because of the way he restructured his contract, it turns out to be
1: great in a way. Yeah, well this is the one move that I think Personally, I'm for it. I I like it because it's a low-risk, high-reward move. But I think this is the one move that I think a lot of Dolphin fans might really have a problem with because they'll look at it and they'll say, well, you let a guy like Amendola, who's clearly a great, not only a great clubhouse guy, but a guy who does everything that you ask him to on the field, even if he doesn't have this high end amount of talent and Devonte Parker is kind of the opposite of that. A guy that seen to have all of the ability in the world, but doesn't have the work ethic and doesn't show up on Sundays. And they look at that and they say, well, so you're rewarding the guy who hasn't shown up and hasn't been a gamer. And you're letting the guy who, you know, has been a gamer go. Um, and it's, it's essentially the same amount of money. Um, But my thought on that is we know who Danny Amendola is. Amendola is at best a third receiver and really a number four receiver and a guy who, while a gamer and will put himself out there on the line, is injury prone. Now, Devontae Parker, certainly you cannot say that he's not injury prone, but Devontae Parker, because of the potential that he has and because this coaching staff has not gotten their hands on Devontae Parker, if they want to look at him and they say, we'd like to give this a try, we'd like to experiment with Devontae Parker because we think he has the potential to be a number one receiver and it's only going to cost you, what, four and a half, five million dollars for one year guaranteed and if it doesn't work, Okay, then you part ways. It's not like he's it's not like he's costing us all this money on the cap this year that we'd be spending on other players because we're not going out and spending a bunch of money in free agency. And if, on the other hand, he does have the breakout that they hope he has, then you're getting him not only for eight or nine million dollars next year. But you've kept him in the program and if he becomes a number one receiver and then also parlays that into another big year, now you've got this guy and you can – you've got the leverage – to re-sign him or if you need to franchise him or something, if he becomes, you know, an Alshon Jeffrey, uh, I mean, he's never going to be a Calvin Johnson, but if, if he becomes like a top 10 to 15 receiver in the league, and again, we don't know that he's going to do that. And that's why it's a, you know, it's a, it's a low risk, uh, situation in the first year of the contract where you're only giving him four or five minutes. I mean, you look at, just look at the division, look at the jets, the Jets just gave away $27 million, $9 million a year to Jamison Crowder, who we know is no better than a number two receiver and probably a low-end number two receiver on that. If if Devonte Parker goes out and has a great year, you're getting him at a bargain the following year. And then you might have a number one receiver that you've got around for the next five or six years. Um and if, again, if it doesn't pan out, it's re- you're not losing anything because all of the money that's guaranteed in the contract is in the first year of the deal. Um, so we didn't see this one coming because it seemed he was as good as gone. But when word started to break that they were going to offer him, you know, a two year deal with with the first year guaranteed, you just wanted to see what the money was. And for, for that money. It's a great deal. And again, it's another one of these contracts that because they're not spending upwards of nine, 10, 11 million dollars, it allows them to keep the compensatory picks that they lose or that they gain from losing guys like uh, like Juwan James and Cameron Wake. Um, And that brings me to the latest signing. As we sit today it's it's Sunday it's early in the evening about you know 20 after 5 on the east coast and I guess word came down about an hour ago that the new quarterback of the Miami Dolphins is Ryan Fitzpatrick.
0: FitzMagic heard, baby.
1: Yes, FitzMagic, the bearded one. And when I heard the contract I was or when I heard the 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 signing, the news of the signing, I was I was very excited because I was worried I wanted them to get a guy like Fitzpatrick or like a Tyrod Taylor or, you know, a, a McCarran, a guy like that where you sign him and you know that this is a one or two year stopgap and, and you're not going to get fooled into anything else of it. We know who these guys are. My worry was when people started talking about Blake Bortles, aside from the fact that Blake Bortles has shown to not be a very good quarterback. He has had flashes, and you just have to go back a year ago this time when he signed a huge contract coming off of his best year in Jacksonville. And my worry was is that if you sign a guy like Blake Bortles, who is still young enough to where if he has a good year, you could be fooled into thinking, this is our franchise quarterback That's not going to happen with a guy like Fitzpatrick. So I was immediately happy when I heard that they got Fitzpatrick. And my next question was, what's the contract? Did they, did they get him at the price where it's low enough, where it's not going to affect any of those compensatory picks. And while we don't know the, Specifics on the breakdown of the contract, we know that it is a two-year deal worth eleven million dollars, which means at five and a half million dollars annually, give or take, depending on the structure of the contract. This is a move that not only is giving the Dolphins just a solid stopgap game managing quarterback here, but it is also not going to cost them any compensatory picks. And that is just Best case scenario all around. I just could not be happier with this move.
0: It's really amazing. And the other and the other thing is, this is exactly what we've been calling for for the last, I mean, really, for the last two years. We've been calling for the Dolphins to, to cut loose Tannehill because it was clear that he was not the answer for this team. They've now done that. They amazingly, in spite of, despite... Tannehill's enormous contract, they managed to find a trade partner and got a fourth round pick for him,
1: which is amazing. And not just a fourth round pick, a fourth round pick in next year's draft, which it might not seem like a lot, but if you keep stacking up these picks towards next year, let's say the Dolphins go out and they win five or six games this year and they end up with like the sixth or seventh pick. You want as many picks as possible for next year so that you can package those together. If you even have to move up one spot, every pick is valuable. And a 2020 pick right now, the way this team is structured and the plan going forward, a 2020 pick is far more valuable than a 2019 pick, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. And I think you know, the fact that they got that, you know, they traded
0: Tannehill, they got something for him, they brought in a stopgap quarterback like Fitzpatrick, and and it was clear that the Dolphins were looking at Teddy Bridgewater, again, as a stopgap quarterback with maybe a a little bit more potential long-term plans if if it really worked out, but again, they were looking at him as a stopgap, and they weren't willing to pay him what he was asking for, and so he took he took the job in New Orleans, staying as Drew Brees' backup. Fine, good for you. But now the Dolphins have their stopgap quarterback. Obviously, Fitzpatrick is not a long-term solution, and that leaves the Dolphins currently with a hundred, like uh, some, somewhere in the neighborhood of 120 million dollars in cap space, anticipated cap space in 2020. As well as currently, I think, 11 draft picks in the 2020 draft. So things are really shaping up as, as we move forward here. Unless the Dolphins are in love, and I mean in love, with a first-round quarterback. So I'm talking Drew Locke, um, uh, the, the, the kid from Duke. If they're in love with one of those guys. Really? Aaron Jones? Is uh, that his name? Daniel, Daniel Jones. Jones. Yeah, I think unless they're, like, in love with one of those guys in the first round that's going to be available, because it sounds like Kyler Murray and and Haskins are not going to be available for them at 13, unless they're in love with the options that are left at that point, the Dolphins are in a position where they can trade away that 13th pick and do something else with it. Grab another pick. Grab some more picks. Grab some more cash. Do whatever they need to do. But the Dolphins are in a position where they really don't need to take that quarterback. They're, They're clearly looking at a little bit more of a, they're taking more of a long view. Now, like I said, if they are really feeling it with Drew Locke, then by all means, draft the guy at 13. Or, you know, by all means, go for it. Why not? I mean, you're, you're in that position where, you know, then he's there as your backup. And if Fitzpatrick doesn't really deliver this year, and the Dolphins end up with three or four wins, you've got Drew Locke, and you're in position to draft one of the big three quarterbacks next year as well. So the Dolphins find themselves in a really, really great place uh, to shape up for the future. I think the key thing, though, is to sort of enjoy what the Dolphins are doing this offseason. The key is that you you need to be okay with the fact that this is not going to be
1: a great Miami Dolphins football season, right? I, I, well, let's be honest. When was the last great Miami? Well, I guess a couple of years ago when they made the playoffs. But how many great Miami Dolphins football seasons have we had? Well, uh, yeah, that that's fair. But I mean, this is not even, I think it's safe to say that I would not
0: bet that the Dolphins are going to be even in that playoff conversation. They were sort of, we were in week 12 and 13, and the Dolphins were sort of hanging around in that conversation this year, that playoff conversation. I would not expect the Dolphins to be in that conversation at all come next year. Now, I I don't want to. We're not going to get into the whole debate about tanking because I think it's it's really just a matter of it's a fight over syntax, and it's really everybody sort of means the same thing. This is a team that is rebuilding for the future, and part of that means that they are not looking, they are not actively looking to be a competitive team in the 2019 NFL season. This is not a Dolphins team that is looking to make the playoffs and make a deep run in 2019. This, this team is looking at a number of other things, and almost all of them are more on the evaluation side of things. The, the great thing about signing a guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick is that the Dolphins are probably going to, at the very least, be entertaining to watch. And there's a chance that you might have the Dolphins. Dolphins might drop 12, 13 games this season, and they still might average more points per game than they did last year. I'm, I'm just saying <laughs> it's a possibility they could be a really they could be they could do what you were hoping that they were going to do for a lot of this season which was this last season which is lose uh, play really really entertaining football and then lose and i think that is what we're looking at a team that was probably going to be doing in 2019
1: yeah and one of the advantages uh you know aside from the fact that we know it's a it's a stopgap guy in in Fitzpatrick and Fitzpatrick is not any kind of long-term solution but one of the advantages of a guy like Fitzpatrick over let's say an an AJ McCarron or just throwing Luke Falk or Jake Rudock or like some fourth round rookie out there is that you can you're getting a quarterback that is competent and that means that you you can actually look at what the Dolphins... It's not just that they have the potential of being entertaining, which is always nice that, you know, when you sit down, you look forward to to watching your team every Sunday, that you sit down and you actually get an entertaining football game because that's what sports are supposed to be. They're supposed to be entertaining, and the Dolphins have been mostly not that uh, over the past 20 years or so. So that's nice. But the other reason that this is that this is a great move is that guys like Devonte Parker, guys like Mike Gesicki, like Kenny Stills, like Albert Wilson, like Kenyon Drake, you can actually evaluate them. Because if you put in a quarterback that is not competent and the offense is just a dumpster fire, how much of it is Are is it? the fault of those guys. And how much is it just because you just have no quarterback play because incompetent quarterback play will absolutely sink an offense, even if it's got a bunch of talent. So now that you know, you've got a competent quarterback, you can actually look at what they've got and you can make evaluations going forward to, you know, is it worth it bringing back Devante Parker next year? Is it worth it to sign Kenyon Drake long-term? Is it worth it to extend an Albert Wilson? Is it worth it to extend a Kenny Stills in a, in a year? Um, you know, what do we have in Mike Kosicki? Is he actually, uh, is he actually going to fulfill the promise that he had as a second round draft pick coming out of Penn state? Um, one of the signings that we haven't talked about Dwayne Allen, they went out, not only did they sign Dwayne Allen, but they also signed Clive Walford. They now have five tight ends on the roster. And when you look at this, a lot of people were like, "Well, what does that mean for Mike Kosicki? What does it mean for Durham Smythe?" I would say for Durham Smythe, it means, you know, he he really needs to battle to make this team. But with Mike Kosicki, I think this is I think he is the biggest benefactor of the Dwayne Allen signing because now you've got basically four tight ends that are going to be battling to be your inline tight ends, your lineup on the line of scrimmage tight ends. And Mike Kosicki is the one guy in that group that is, that has a different set of skills an above average Pat and really a, an exceptional, uh, a set of tools to be a pass catching tight end. And when you look at, you know, a, a, a coaching staff that comes from new England that worked with, and I know you, you, you hate to have to bring up his name, you know, because all the negativity that surrounds him and and his time in New England and all of the the nonsense. But Aaron Hernandez was an extremely productive offensive weapon as a pass catching tight end for the New England Patriots under these guys. And Mike Kosicki has a very similar tool set, skill set to Aaron Hernandez, and he was not used in a way that Aaron Hernandez was used in New England last year with the Dolphins. He was used primarily as your standard lineup on the line of scrimmage tight end. Well, now that we have all these other options at tight end, maybe this means, hopefully this means, that they are going to utilize Mike Kosicki in the role that he really should be utilized in and we could end up having a breakout from Mike Asicki. And so I I love that move too. I, I really, it's, it's the first time in a really long time that I, I look at what the dolphins are doing in the off season and it just makes absolute sense. There's no like needing to rationalize it or seeing both sides of it to try to kind of do some mental aerobics or acrobats to try to make it make sense. It just makes sense. And it's just really exciting and it's really refreshing. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know what else
0: there is to say. We just wanted to get together and, and do a quick episode with everything that's been going on because I know that You've been really excited. I'm really excited. Um, do we want to uh, do we want to do a eulogy for the Ryan Tannehill era? Is it worth it? Or maybe it'd be more appropriate to do a eulogy for the Cam Wake era? Because of all the players that we've had over the last decade, Cam Wake is probably the most impactful and and the one who sort of has left the most indelible mark upon the franchise long term. I think Cam Wake possibly if there was anybody that was going to be in the last decade of the Miami Dolphins that was going to be uh, on that Miami Dolphins honor roll, Cam Wake, I think, would be that guy. Um, and now he moves on to spend some time with the Tennessee Titans. He's going to get paid. He's going to continue to play football. And uh, you know what? The, the Titans are at least in position to be a playoff contender for 2019. So, so you got to feel good for Cameron Wake. Although a poor guy can't get away from Ryan Tannehill, but what are you going to do? Uh, but, you know, it's listen, it's a sports, right? And it's it's not just sports, it's modern sports. And in modern sports, players, often even players that you really love, end up leaving your team and going somewhere else eventually. You know, there are, there are very few guys that are going to spend their entire career with one team. Ben Roethlisberger, Tom Brady... You know, there's, there are not many of those types of guys left that are going to play the, the span of their career with one team. So you wish, you sort of tip your hat to, to Cam Wake, you tip your hat to Ryan Tannehill too. You know, listen, we've, we have had a lot of uh, harsh words for Ryan Tannehill. He was never the player that the organization hoped he would be and that we at one point hoped he would be. It just never, never really worked out that well. Uh, but you wish the guy well and, and best of luck with the rest of his career elsewhere and look forward to seeing you on the gridiron so that we can pick you off several times and uh, maybe you can give us one of those famous dolphin slides. One more time. Any any last words for you,
1: Brain, about any of these uh, our, our dearly departed Miami Dolphins? I I I'm gonna be rooting for the Tennessee Titans this year. Um, not necessarily for Tannehill, um, but for Cam Wake uh, because he's the one guy that I would like to see have, you know, team success. He's a guy that's had a lot of, you know, individual success with the Dolphins. I do think that. As much as – look, Cam Wake has been probably our best defensive player in the last decade, um, certainly, I would say. I mean, you – you know, if over the long term, I mean, because you could say, well, Xavier Howard – what he's done in like the last year, Xavier Howard ends up being, you know, like an eight, nine time pro bowl cornerback. He's going to end up being better than, than Cameron wake. But at this point, Cameron wake has clearly been our best defensive player and probably our best player in general over the past decade. Um, I do think he was a bit overrated uh, because he was, um, you know, essentially a pass rush specialist. In the last few years, he's been a guy that, hasn't really taken over games. He's a guy that kind of picks his spots, still a valuable player and a really good player for what he is, but he's a guy that, you know, we've cheered on and has given us a lot of excitement as Dolphin fans. And when we knew that he was going to be moving on and the Dolphins were going to be parting ways with him, uh, the thought was, well, hopefully he'll get signed by a team. That's a contender and he can win himself a Super Bowl. you know, so that he's not, going to end his career or spend his whole career similar to a Jason Taylor who spent his own his most of his career here with the Dolphins wallowing in mediocrity or at least getting to like the first round of the playoffs and then and then losing and then he moved on to the Jets and the Redskins and never won anything. The hope was Cameron Wake will you know, get picked up by a team that ends up winning something so we can see Cameron Wake hold up a Lombardi trophy. That'd be really cool. Um, I don't think it's going to happen in Tennessee. But I hope that Marcus Mariota turns out to be a good quarterback, that they make a run, and that Cam Wake gets a taste, gets, gets close. And then who knows? You know, maybe – Maybe he ends up on a different team, some team in the NFC, a couple of years from now, and we end up facing him in the Super Bowl. That'd be pretty cool. That would be great. That's
0: that's that's what we'll all hope for. We'll all hope. No no words for Tannehill, from you, Ryan.
1: Nothing to say. Uh, the, the okay. So I'll say this about Ryan Tannehill. It is not Ryan Tannehill's fault that he was drafted eighth overall. It is not Ryan Tannehill's fault that he was given a huge contract and then it's not Ryan Tannehill's fault that then he was asked to restructure and then ended up with another huge contract because of it. These are foibles from the Dolphins front office. Ryan Tannehill was a team guy, was a guy that always worked hard and a guy that never said anything negative in the media and was just always kind of a model player. Now you can you can criticize his his leadership or lack thereof, his quarterback acumen, his you know, the mental part, the cerebral part of the game, his inconsistencies as far as accuracy. I'm with you. I've never been sold on him as being anything more than an average quarterback. But it is not his fault that the organization overvalued him and that the organization put themselves in a bad way because they signed him. So I have nothing but respect for Ryan Tannehill. Um, and I wish him the absolute best. The only thing that I, that I would like to not see, and I don't expect to see it in any way, shape or form is Ryan Tannehill somehow turning into like a rich Gannon, uh, a guy where the light bulb goes on at the end of his career and he ends up being a pro bowl caliber quarterback. I don't think that's ever going to happen. So I'm not really worried about it. Um, but I'm not actively rooting for Ryan Tannehill because if Tannehill was to turn into that then that would probably not be the best thing for the Miami Dolphins.
0: Fair enough. Well, then I think that's going to wrap us up for this special off-season episode of the same old Dolphin show. Uh, You can find us, as always, on SoundCloud, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, you can find us on Stitcher, you can find us on uh, Spotify, you can find us on all the regular channels, and of course, you can always find us on DolphinsTalk.com, which is your one-stop shop for all things Miami Dolphins brain. Uh, Why don't you tell the people where they can find you? can find me on Twitter at Aaron the Brain. And I am at Amplified to Rock. The show is at Same Old Dolphins. And uh, the Facebook page is Facebook.com slash Same Old Dolphins. So that's going to do it for this episode of the same old Dolphin Show. We uh, we may be back with a little bit of a draft preview, depending on how we're feeling. If not, if we if there's not a draft preview, I'm sure we'll come to you sometime after the draft to sort of digest what the Miami Dolphins did—the first draft of the Chris Greer era. So it's actually a fairly important one in that regard. Uh, so we'll be we'll be certainly be back uh, long before training camp starts, so that we can uh, talk about what has happened and of course if there's any other like enormous off-season news that we feel like needs to be commented on uh, right away we'll, we will jump in and do that but in the meantime we're going to we're going to sign off and we're going to go we are now going boldly into the Fitzmagic era for the Miami Dolphins for Aaron the Brain I am Amplified to Rock this is Josh we will talk to you again next time take care of yourselves Bye bye, everybody. Go dolphins. Oh fitz magic. You know, never believe it's not so. Fitz magic.